1: Bring in show music, please.
0: Hi there, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, in the room where it happened, President Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia with an advisor who was there the whole time, Amos Hochstein.
2: President, right at the top of the meeting, raised the issue of Khashoggi, raised his commitment to human rights and told the Crown Prince very directly his views, his longstanding views on human rights.
0: And the Bob on Bob Drama, how Disney leadership is getting along or isn't, with new intel from insider correspondent Claire Atkinson.
3: Bob Iger seems to have regrets about handing over the reins.
0: And all the pressure on the other Bob, Puck's founding partner, Matt Bellany.
1: This question of, oh, what would Iger do? What would Bob the First do? That has really haunted Chapek.
0: Plus, global headlines from China to the birthplace of golf in Scotland and
4: I'm, uh... you glass half full. I'm glass half full.
0: Volatile stocks, but low unemployment and a healthy consumer?
4: Maybe we needed the American rescue plan. Yeah, yeah, who am, am I? I? Where who am, am I? I? Who are, who, who am I? What,
0: what's Where? happening here? It's Monday, July 18th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand, under bye,
5: in
1: three, two, one,
5: You Andrew. Good morning, and welcome to Squawk Box. Right here on CNBC, we're live at the Nasdaq Market Site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin, along with Joe Kernan. Becky's off today. We do have green on the screen, of course. After what was quite a tumble last week, right now Dow looks like it's going to power back up. Just well, I don't know. We call I it marginal or not.
4: We we did have a tumble last week. What, what do you think? Of, what do you think Friday was? What do you mean? Am I crazy? Yeah. Have I lost my brain? Yes. Huge day Friday. No,
5: I'm sorry, huge day Friday back up. Sorry,
4: you're right, yeah, I've lost 60, my brain. Up 650. I, th- I think we almost closed. We had a great week the week before. Four. Scary back in Scary the back week back. with CPI and PPI. Yes. Good retail sales, That's which what I totally was referring counter, to what counteracted. I-, I don't know if we got all the way back, but we're 3860 on the S&P. Bitcoin, 22.5. Uh, no longer 100 basis points. I- 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 we kept talking about, do we need a 40 VIX? do we need a 35 VIX? do we need another leg down to new lows and i i'm just hoping against hope that, that maybe strong jobs is good maybe retail sales holding up maybe it doesn't mean the fed has to do more maybe it means we can land this thing well, softly what does it
5: mean that j p morgan is doing what it's doing then? what about Citigroup? you see the, right. that that i saw the upside. Right.
4: yep i'm uh, your glass I, half, I'm, half full i'm glass half full your glass half full I'm glass i like half for i've been there way. F- yeah you know f- I, I i i don't know we all have 401k. Am I just, is it me? Am I just hoping we don't go to zero? I, I don't know. We, we, we all are long-minded. No one wants the markets to go to zero, obviously. Um, I, I try not to be Pollyannish and, and, and always. But oh, doesn't this make it all harder for Jay Powell then? I hope not. I hope not. Not with oil at 90 or I don't know where it is today. We'll see where it is. But that's come down. Commodities have rolled over. The flying arm, and, and, and you're hit, hitting it on the head, is that if you're 3.6 unemployment uh, in a in a recession that's never been seen before, and that's where that's you worry why you, would, you worry about the wage stuff, you worry about people being able to demand more, and that that becomes stubborn as part of the inflation. But even with commodities rolling over, that the wage stuff becomes the the main driver. And of you inflation. think
5: Powell is going to 75 basis 75. They're saying. I know that's uh, what
4: the Journal saying. I think they before the quiet period they were all indicating 70. Wouldn't you be surprised at at, a, at one? At this point,
5: I would be surprised, but I've always thought that maybe if you have such, if everything's so
4: going so great, maybe you need to. We may have back-to-back negative GDP quarters. It's technical, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're in a recession. Maybe, but it, you know, I'm hoping that when it's all said and done, the supply chain was sort of. Oh God, I'm to use the T word. Was sort of transitory. transitory, yeah. Maybe some of it was transitory. Maybe it's not. All the money we printed maybe it's not maybe we needed the american rescue plan and maybe that didn't take chase too yeah yeah who am, where am I? I where who am, am I? I who are who, who am we, i what, what's where, happening here let's see much of last week's market action was driven uh, by changing expectations for what the fed's going to do after a surprise 9.1 percent jump in june consumer inflation on wednesday Surprised they were, you know, looking for maybe eight, five or so. So it was worse. Uh but there's an eighty-two percent chance at that point that the Fed would uh hike rates by a full percentage point this month. But after Friday's unexpected jump in June retail sales and a softening of inflation expectations, those odds uh sank um, to twenty percent for to go a full point. And the Dow rose six hundred and fifty-eight points in Friday's relief rally, still closed though the week. Here there's the answer, Andrew, with just a slight Uh, loss why uh, strong retail sales would would dampen inflationary expectations I I don't know why that uh, that would follow but it certainly helped equity markets a lot and you know they they are correlated Bitcoin 22.5 Ethereum back to I think fourteen fifty something watch it kinda closely the risk was definitely on on Friday we'll see whether it continues we're going into the dog days eventually what are the, is that the, le, that the second, le, second to last week, week. Of, uh, of, of August? We're, yep. we're, we're approaching. We're in puppy days so far. What it's puppy days. Puppy like days. But I mean, there's not a lot. There won't be a lot of volume, and maybe none of this is real until September. And don't you think normally, if it's that, it, it, it'd be so simple. It'd be okay. I'm buying in September. It'd be so simple. Don't don't we usually miss it? Don't we say, God, I wish I had. Uh, I wish I had done something when I had a chance. Netflix under, you know, all these stocks that are down 50 percent. You don't buy them because you're scared of going further. Right. Nobody buys a Bitcoin at 18,000. You just got to hope.
5: You got to hope that the fall is uh, keeps things keeps things apace. Well,
4: we'll see. Uh, we have two more, two three more weeks of unbelievable earnings. I mean, a lot a of earnings uh, to look at. i will a, a lot of data, a lot of a lot, lot of, of
5: numbers. But we'll yeah, see whether they're unbelievable, including
4: this week. And two of China's biggest cities have ordered a massive round of COVID testing this week after two new cases were discovered in the northern city of Tianjin, uh, the metor- metropolis, 13 million people. How many, how many cities in China we could just say? And they, there's a lot when you got that many people. There's a lot of 10 million people cities. Yep. But Tianjin, 13 million people imagine. That's like New York, isn't it? Is it? No, New York's less less than thir- if you take everything take all the new york city
5: population 7 million. the good for my good friends at google i thought it was going to say eight and it is it's eight point three eight, 8. No, 8, no, 8 even
4: if and that's all the boroughs and everything else yeah probably not the burbs probably, not. probably does not probably include probably the burbs not, okay but 13 million people this is tianjin which we don't really yep i don't, I don't know if i've ever said tianjin before more than 13 million people Uh, conducting uh, city-wide tests. Meanwhile, uh, Shanghai's government requiring residents across nine districts to take two COVID tests over a three-day period. Starting tomorrow, officials uh, cited the risk of the virus spreading outside of known transmission change. Shanghai's lockdowns uh, from March to May sparked a drop of nearly 14 percent in that city's uh, GDP. Meantime, Macau is kicking off an 11th round of COVID testing for residents today. It's the world's biggest gambling hub, extended a lockdown of casinos and other businesses uh, in the fight on its worst outbreak since the pandemic uh, began. Despite a steady fall in infections uh, that saw just 27 new cases reported yesterday, authorities uh, ordered the city's residents to stay home. All non-essential businesses will be shot until Friday. I don't know about monkeypox, is that on your radar? I mean, do you ever think about it? I don't think about it yet. I have not been thinking about it personally, but Although I read, read about, about, about it every it, day. It, lo- it seems like it's exponentially growing, yep. but still low numbers. Let's talk a uh, uh, quick golf update. This was pretty cool uh, yesterday. Australia's Cam Smith won the Open at St. Andrews after a commanding Sunday performance. He started the back nine, five straight birdies. He's the first Australian golfer to win the British Open since Greg Norman in 1993. There's our story. Greg Norman wasn't invited because of Live Golf. Uh, After his victory, Smith was asked about rumors that he's considering a jump to the Saudi-backed Live Golf Invitational Series. Uh, He said the reporter's line of inquiry was not that good, but wouldn't confirm or deny his interest in the new tour, which is headed by Norman. Separately, reports say that uh, Sweden's Henrik Stenson, a former Open winner, uh, British Open winner, plans to join Live Golf and would be stripped of captaining the Ryder Cup, Europe's Ryder Cup team. Uh, he told reporters that his schedule for the remainder of the year was <laughs> undecided. Uh, he missed the cut on Friday at uh, at St. Andrews. Yeah, 20 under is a lot. But it, he shot 30 on the back, 34, 30. 64, he was amazing. And, and birdied 18. Uh, is eight, there any
5: argument to be made as, as a golfer, from a competition perspective, that this is actually going to somehow make the
4: PGA better? The guys that have gone, it's been pointed out, haven't been playing their best golf. The guys that have signed up, I don't know, Mickelson's best days are probably gone, even though he won a major uh, last year. Bryson DeChambeau has been, right. Brooks Koepka has been hurt ever since he won all those majors. He went, so you don't, you know, Dustin Johnson played well, and, but didn't win. He's probably the one who's still playing the best.
0: Coming up on Squawk Pod, the inside scoop on President Biden's trip to the Middle East, his meeting with the Crown Prince, and the point of the whole affair with his special coordinator for international energy, Amos Hochstein.
2: This trip to Saudi Arabia and the Middle East and what we should be doing in the Senate is making sure that the United States leads the 21st century in energy and not China.
6: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
0: Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. After months of quiet diplomacy, President Biden arrived in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, to meet with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and the kingdom's highest officials. The agenda ranged from oil prices and 5G to China's influence in the Middle East. But one topic has overshadowed much of the trip, and reporters in Biden's press pool were quick to bring it up. Jamal Khashoggi, will you apologize to his family, sir?
6: Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Is still Is here, movie? Movie. Still
1: guys. Guys. One
0: exchange in particular has captured more headlines than any other.
1: Do you regret the fist bump, Mr. President? Why do you guys talk about something bad.
0: A fist bump with the suspected orchestrator of the murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. Last week, Biden defended his visit to the country and his choice to engage with the crown prince, or MBS, in an op-ed for The Washington Post. He wrote, and has reiterated in comments since, that Saudi Arabia has been a strategic partner for the US for the last 80 years, particularly in arms and in energy. Saudi Arabia is one of the top oil producers in OPEC, alongside the US and Russia. As we've discussed endlessly on this podcast, and well, pretty much everywhere else, energy prices have skyrocketed this year around the globe as Russia continues its assaults in Ukraine. But with fears of a recession come fears of reduced demand for fuel, and we're now in the thick of a four-week slide in oil prices and retail gas prices. On our TV broadcast today, Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin got the scoop on that historic meeting in the Middle East from an official who was there alongside the president. Here's Joe.
4: Let's talk more about that trip and everything else with Amos Hochstein, Special Presidential Coordinator for International Energy Affairs. He accompanied the president last week. Uh, it's good to see you, uh, Amos, and I I, um, I have high hopes. Um, you know, we've talked before, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to try to I'm gonna try to to try get somewhere with you, and then you're going to have to talk to the administration, and, and we're all going to come to a meeting of the minds on, on how to handle things. Does, does that sound good? Do you promise me? That sounds great. I look forward to doing that, Joe, and thank you for having me this morning. You're welcome. Here's how I'm going to start. Um, it's almost bipartisan this morning. The New York Times, one of the stories on the front page is that the climate crisis fades as, as real worries uh, set in, inflation, pandemic, uh, et cetera. And then in the Wall Street Journal, um, which you would, it's the, op, the opinion uh, piece almost, the West climate policy debacle that utopian energy dreams are doing great economic and security damage. and. One of the four points that they make that that has been one of the, 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 the effects of this, maybe rushing the transition, has been that it's empowered dictators. And they're talking specifically, I think, about Venezuela and Saudi Arabia. So with that in mind, I'm just wondering what you, what you think about the, the latest trip? What, did, did it make sense to do that and, and not focus more on, on domestic production?
2: Wow, Joe, there's a lot there. Yeah. Uh, so let, let, me, let me start. First, I, I disagree with the binary choices here. Uh, yes, we need to address the current energy prices, and we're doing exactly that. And I think quite effectively, if you look at the results, oil prices are down from their peaks just a few weeks ago of uh, over $120 a barrel to about $100 a barrel, uh, give or take between WTI, uh, the American price and and Brent. Um, But we also have to, I disagree that climate fades, climate uh, is still a major concern. And in fact, the energy security for the United States and for the rest of the world is not to keep trying to catching up with demand, uh, but rather trying to lower lower that demand by creating alternatives. In both renewables on the power side and electric vehicles on the oil side, so I think we got to do both. And uh, I think the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal are are getting this in a binary, uh, in a, putting us in a binary place. But look where we are: we had prices at 120, and we had uh, expectations from banks and financial institutions coming on your show and saying we're going to $300, $280, $350, etc. Instead, we're $20 below where we were a few weeks ago. Gasoline prices were at $5 with predictions on your show that they're going to go up to $6 and $7. We're now down on the average for the nation below, you know, more than 50 cents lower. Uh, and if you look at the most, according to GasBuddy, the most common price today across the United States is actually $3.99, not four fifty two dollars as you're showing now. So we've actually done a lot of things. And where is that coming from? we've increased supply on the market of a million barrels a day from the uh, strategic petroleum reserve that was president biden's decision to do something larger than anything ever been done before uh, we, president got our international partners to add another sixty million barrels uh... u.s production is up really high we're going to get to a record high uh... by probably early next year uh... so we're you know we reached over twelve million barrels a day so it's hard to suggest that we haven't taken extraordinary steps uh, to support the American consumer and to bring prices down, uh, as we have over the last period of time, now,
4: almost a lot of the, uh, the the decline, people would immediately point to the Fed and into demand. Uh, uh, destruction that were the fed is attempting to, to orchestrate a soft landing so there's, well, there hasn't been any change really on, on the supply and, and just but, long-term Joe, this one other true, thing um, almost that- one other thing China's building 172 coal power stations Indonesia 56 new coal power stations. India 47 new coal power stations Vietnam 11 we can do a lot of things um, obviously ourselves here, but without the cooperation of the rest of the world that is energy hungry and that these renewables and and, and new sources of energy are not going to give their citizens the the life that they've they've come to expect. It's just not working right now. And and if we are unilaterally trying to do that, um, it's not gonna work and we're seeing a lot of, for better or worse, Europe is over a barrel because of their dependence uh on uh, on renewables which allowed which emboldened putin and allowed for the invasion of ukraine so w- what about the notion that this is uh enabling and encouraging dictators um well know, i
2: i but- i think the stats that you're pointing out are terrible right i mean i think it's really horrible to see the resurgence of coal uh and i think instead you should, we should be using those funds uh to invest in in renewables and that's what we're trying to it's not do. not going
4: to heat homes in Europe, though. Almost right now, Europe no, no, no. renewables are, n- and you're not going to power the grid uh, purely on renewables. There's you know, not Joe, enough. I'm
2: not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting. That. Look, we have a short term that we need to, and short is not just this year. It's the next several like years, decades, we need to make sure that we have enough gas and LNG coming from the United States, coming from Qatar and other places to supply Europe, and able, they're over a barrel largely because of the over-dependence on one supplier, which is Russia, without infrastructure to be reliant on a flexible LNG market. Uh, and they're over a barrel because they haven't done anything to move their heating infrastructure away from gas and onto other sources and onto the grid. The United States is doing, and the president has done everything we can, we're at max capacity for production of, of natural gas in the United States, and we're going to increase that. So we're trying to we're trying to address both the extreme needs that we need in the markets today through oil and gas, while creating the infrastructure for renewable energy and for electric vehicles for the future. And in fact, the trip to Saudi Arabia that you've asked about was not was actually not about oil. I mean, look at all the things that the President was able to achieve uh, in in that one trip, and not leaving a vacuum for Russia and China to enter the Middle East. That would be significantly worse. We have further integrated Israel into the region with the first ever flights from Israel over, uh, over Saudi Arabia. Uh, we're going to have more in the Israel integration area. Uh, but also, we signed an energy framework with Saudi Arabia to actually invest in that disruptive en- energy systems that even they understand they need to invest in that is going to and that is going to take us significantly further for adding additional dollars into investing into that energy future so i think we've done everything that we can and continue to do to bring down prices for american consumers here at home to bring down the price of oil and gasoline and diesel while at the same time we want to invest and look that's why we wanted the legislation in the in the senate because we want to create more incentives for more investments not in coal-fired power plants but into that energy future and joe you know as well as i do follow the money where are we going to be in twenty thirty and beyond is going to be more on renewables and more in electric vehicles i'm not saying transitions are easy and i'm not saying they're very fast but they are, we have to do everything we can to accelerate them because otherwise th- if we don't that's when we're dependent on people who don't share our values
4: almost were, were you I'm just trying to figure out whether we, the Khashoggi issue, do you know, I'm seeing conflicting stories on whether it was brought up, whether it wasn't. Uh, the president said that he, he pressed uh, MBS on that, but there, there was a Saudi minister there that said he didn't hear anything about it. Were you there? Did you hear it? Do you, can you set any clarity on that, just, just sure. as an aside? Yeah. Sure.
2: I was, I was in the meeting. Uh, the president, right at the top of the meeting, uh, raised the issue of Khashoggi, uh, raised his commitment to human rights, uh... and told uh... the crown prince very directly uh... his views his long-standing views on human rights and frankly the the united states views on uh... human rights and our values uh... they had a very open and honest and direct uh, and candid discussion on that issue uh... the president was uh... remarkably direct uh... on this issue and did it right at the beginning i I know their climate envoy uh... had uh, said some things in the press but i can tell you i was there uh and uh president raised it just as he said he did and what was Khashoggi's? Res- uh i'm not Khashoggi. what was mbs's response um you know i i'm not going to get into it but i i will say he responded uh it was a very candid conversation um and uh i'll just remark on what the president said uh but it was it was a remarkable candid
5: conversation and- can you just by the way speak cuz everybody obviously it was the picture that was seen around the world uh fist bump versus handshake versus you know Doing nothing versus bowing—you know—was there a conversation beforehand about what the what, what the plan was on how that was going to go? Uh,
2: not really. I mean, this is really uh, it's just a silly conversation. It's it's really remarkable to me that one of the most important uh, meetings in the Middle East, where he met with nine Middle East leaders in in one day, and met with the host, with Saudi Arabia, uh, in order to fill that to make sure there's no vacuum for Russia and China. Who have been making attempts to make gains in the Middle East? This was an extremely think about what was you know something I should have mentioned before. We had a war in Yemen for the last seven years that cost thousands of lives, and as a result of our diplomacy over the last several months, uh, we've brought a ceasefire to that. We now have the longest ceasefire in that war. So to have a, a trip where the president's meeting with the entire Middle East. And getting so many deliverables and so much progress, not on popping circumstance, not on ceremonies, but actual national security and national economics and global economic importance. And for the press to obsess about, was it a fist bump or a handshake? I mean, give me a break. I mean, seriously
4: almost thanks so you're going to go back and you're going to say listen we we need to transition but we 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 need some time okay like decades will you will you take that message is that is that what you can get out of this i don't think he's saying decades i think he's saying years but we know it's 2050. you you don't you don't you don't ascribe to 2050. here's the deal
2: let me leave you with one thing this you talked about china and coal china's investing in coal but it's actually investing an enormous amount in renewables as well and electric vehicles This trip to Saudi Arabia and the Middle East and what we're doing at home here and what we should be doing in the Senate is making sure that the United States leads the 21st century in energy and not China. Right.
4: We just, we don't want to be, you know, like a drop in the ocean in terms of of emissions when the rest of the world is polluting, if you want to call it pollution, and, um, you know, we don't want to be suckers. I I agree. I, I, I want to reduce our
2: emissions as well.
0: Cheese will be next. Coming up, what about the Bobs? A notable failure, one of the worst decisions, not a visionary. Those are the striking terms in a new report that says former Disney CEO Bob Iger regrets handing off the House of Mouse to successor Bob Chapek. Disney's CEO drama has been playing out in public for the last two years. Who's up, who's down, and who's
6: fired? Right after this on SquawkPod.
0: You are listening to Squawk Pod.
4: Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Becky's off today. Any guesses on uh, Shanghai population, Sorkin? Total number?
5: Total number. I, I couldn't even begin. 26. 26 million. Remember, New York City, 8 million. Right. A little, I, little context there. Yeah, exactly. Tensions between former Disney CEO Bob Iger and his successor Bob Chapek continuing to drive a rift within the company. Insiders are reporting that Iger was, quote, unhappy about the transition of power to Chepek, And joining us right now is Claire Atkinson, insider, chief media correspondent who just wrote a fascinating piece about all this, and Matt Bellany, Puck's founding partner, who's been writing about this throughout the past year. Uh, good morning to both of you. Claire, I mean, the report was fascinating. Um, It's fascinating also that it continues uh, this sort of bad blood. What's happening here?
3: Well, I think the story that I attempted to lay out is something that feels like it's common knowledge in Hollywood, but perhaps news to everybody else. And it's this idea that Bob Iger was pushed by the board to make a decision on succession. And uh, the board had suggested Bob stay. And Bob said, no, I'm ready to leave. I launched Disney Plus successfully. I'm ready to step down. And the board had said, well, make Bob Chapek COO. And Bob Iger said, no, he should step up. He should become CEO. Then the full extent of COVID becomes clear. And Bob Iger seems to have regrets about handing over the reins because Disney then enters this uh, crisis of, uh, you know, that everything shuts down. There were decisions to be made about right. furloughing thousands of people. And they were just on different pages about how to move forward.
5: Hey Matt, the- Take the story forward, because, you know, we've been looking sort of back at this this sort of bad blood, and, and maybe that remains. But clearly, the board seems to have Chapek's back, and we just had, you know, the firing of Peter Rice. I, you just wrote about that. I don't know how much you think that plays into this entire dynamic about
1: who's in power. Well, I think what's happening here is Iger continues to shadow the Chapek tenure, I mean, just the fact that people were questioning whether Iger might possibly come back to the company and take over for Chapek until he was renewed. His deal was renewed recently for another three years. But, you know, this question of, oh, what would Iger do? What would Bob the First do? That has really haunted Chapek. And I, it's no surprise that it's annoying to him.
5: I'm sure it's annoying him, Matt, but do you think it's over? Meaning now that the contract's in place, Now that Rice is out, and I'm I'm curious what you think of that dynamic.
1: It's not out. I mean, Peter Rice was someone in the company that was the head of television content and was viewed as a possible person to step in, even though Rice himself often downplayed that. And now he's gone and Chapek got rid of him. And that was very deliberate. And it was done after Rice had received a new contract renewal just months before So this notion that Chapek is now safe and that he is free to act for the next three years, we know that's not true. If the board wants to get rid of him, if the stock continues to lag, I mean, it was the worst performer on the Dow last year. If it continues to lag, the board would have no trouble getting rid of him despite the renewal. So but then what is the renewal about, Claire?
3: Well, I think they feel like they need to give Bob Chapek a chance under normal circumstances, Um, COVID obviously was an extremely difficult situation. Um, And, you know, we all hear of these uh, CEOs that get renewed, that um, lose their jobs uh, once they find somebody somebody better. I mean, the question is, who were the other candidates that they looked at and why did they pick Bob Chapek? I think the answer to that is he had experience in a lot of different um, areas, but he was light on experience in content. And that is the thing that continues to dog him. Um, the folks in the content unit preferred Bob Iger for many reasons. Um, I think, kind of, you know, to the stock point, the stock um, was at a two-year low last spring. It was at 200 bucks. Now it's uh, 92, 93. And I think um, the story that will emerge moving forward is uh, ESPN will be something they'll want to highlight. They raised the prices. Well, they said they would raise the price to 10 bucks for ESPN Plus. We've started to see Disney buy more sports rights. So I think, you know, that's an area of the company that they're going to want to highlight. The parks also, uh, the margins will be much better than they've been because um, the prices are so, the prices have gone up in such a big way that that's something they'll highlight. But again, the stock, to Matt's point, is not in a good place.
5: Hey, Matt, to me, the big deal that still has to get resolved is the future of Hulu. What do you think happens?
1: Absolutely. Disney is in this odd place where it controls Hulu, but Comcast still has a 30% stake and Disney has the opportunity to buy it in 2024. Many people think that Disney will either, you know, assume all of Hulu and then figure out what to do or even sell Hulu either to Comcast or someone else. Um, I happen to think that they will keep Hulu. It's got 40 million subscribers here, but remember, Hulu doesn't exist around the world. It's purely in a u.s property and if you're thinking of a pure play global strategy for streaming folding disney folding hulu into disney plus makes a lot of sense claire and matt we're going to leave the conversation there we appreciate it look forward to seeing you guys again
5: very very soon taking us behind the scenes of uh hollywood drama of sorts
0: that's the podcast for today thank you for tuning in as always Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern.
4: What do
5: you mean? Am I crazy? Yeah.
0: To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
1: We are clear. Thanks, guys.